Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to the Bad Things Podcast, the show that scrapes the bottom of the cultural barrel and evaluates the putrid gunk that's been left behind. I'm Jacob Simmons, and as ever, I am joined by a man whose opinions are so strong, even Lou Reed wouldn't challenge him to a street fight. It's Nathan Packham. Nathan, generic salutations to you. Oh, we brought back generic salutations. I'm delighted. Hello. I might try and and get that over as the catchphrase, maybe. I'm happy to roll with generic salutations going forward. Perfect. Good stuff. Well, I would normally, you know, in this part of the podcast, ask how you are and what you've been up to, but uh, we're recording this on the 3rd of April 2020, so no one is up to anything. Um, no, no one is up to anything. I think, I think though, we are doing well with finding things to do. Mm. Um, they may not be as fulfilling and sort of authentic as our normal social activities, uh, but I think we're we're doing well. I mean, there's a lot of Netflix series are doing the rounds on the social. Mm, uh, people are blasting through them. Um, Joe Wicks, who I have sort of mixed mixed feelings about, uh, is doing his home <laughs> workouts. Have you been checking up on Joe? Have you been following the PE? No, I haven't, because I find him quite annoying, but at the same time he does good things, so uh, I'll let him off. The dichotomy of wicks. <laughs> um, how have you been? Uh, Mixed mix bag. I've been okay. Uh, you know, the old mental health has taken a tumble every now and again, mm, but, you know, of course, I'm, I'm powering through it, uh, mostly with researching for this show. Which I, I, I should add, I said, of course, because everyone is probably dying in their minds, not specifically you currently. You weren't, you weren't just dismissing my snowflake claims of no. mental health. No, no. absolutely not. Uh, but no, you know, researching for this has got me through it. Uh, I've done an obscene amount of digging to the background of, of this show. And I, I think I am now the world's leading expert on this programme. Some of the shit you've sent me. Oh, my God. <laughs> We'll get into that in a minute, but you know, I think we're you know we might touch on the you know what virus a little bit throughout the program, but I think everyone could do with a bit of escapism at the moment. So let's just try and dial it back a little bit and escape through the world of shitty reality TV. Agreed? Oh, totally agreed. And you know, shout out to the human race for actually doing all right. You know, apart from the economy, which we all do need loads of fucking work anyway. We're doing all right. The only problem with that is that it might make our upcoming episode on the recession a bit tasteless now. We could do a double episode Whoa! on both recessions. Oh my god, the recession double bill. <laughs> Holy shit, the double dip. Before we get into the actual subject matter of this month's podcast, let's run through the the brief outline of what this show's about. Now let's see if I can get this right, because this is normally Nathan that does this. So, from mind-numbingly awful music to terrible TV to farcical films... This podcast will take you through some of the greatest mishaps in entertainment history as we fly through a veritable maelstrom of utter crap. How'd I do? Oh, it was wonderful. Veritable maelstrom was nailed again. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. I kept it in from last time. And speaking of terrible TV, that's what we're doing this time. Because, as you know, last month we had an audio review with our our trip to Lulu and Lou Reed and and all the, the, the madness that lay we're in. Uh, So this time, it's back to the visual stuff, and it's our first foray into TV, not just any TV, the dreaded genre of reality TV. The only relevant TV (laughs) genre. (laughs) Nathan, what are we reviewing this time? We are going to 
a place that is actually called Englefield House, but is known as Deerfield Manor for the purposes <laughs> of this show. Um, we are reviewing a show from 2014 called I Wanna Marry Harry, where 12, supposedly dumb, but we're going to get into that, uh, 12 American women uh, go to the UK and try to win the affections of a fake Prince Harry. That's quite the concept, eh? I mean, it's just morally abject, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, there are so many things wrong with this show from a production standpoint. But yeah, it's it's that's what's happening, folks. We're getting to grips with a dozen single American gals trying to win the heart of who they think is Prince Harry. But it's actually just a bloke who looks a bit like him. So I thought we could start off by having a little chat about our thoughts on reality TV itself. It's oh, often, yes. It's often lambasted as, in the best case, tripe, in the worst case, as we mentioned, morally abject. What are your thoughts on reality TV, Nathan? Do you like it? Is it something you watch regularly? Uh, I mean, much like Joe Wicks, I have a, <laughs> I have a, a tortured and contradictory relationship with reality TV. Hmm. Um I think Big Brother is probably one of the most important cultural uh, moments of the 21st century. I mean, is is that a laughable thing to say? I I think, you know, when it first started, it was absolutely revolutionary, but it has morphed into a bit of a joke now, hasn't it, unfortunately? Yeah, I mean, it should have stopped in 2010, which was the final series over here in the UK, but Channel 5 picked it up over here and it carried on. Uh, into the teenies, which was not the right decade for Big Brother to carry on, because people realised that people had emotions in the teenies. Yeah, it was harder to laugh at people with mental health issues in the uh, the teens, wasn't it? We all do the same thing. We all pretend we're not into it, and then we sit down for half an hour, and before we know it, we've watched four hours of something. I mean, the the apex currently, I think, here in the UK, is Naked Attraction, which is... Uh, yes. uh, on a whole nother level of astonishing um, from where reality TV started that it's just unbelievable. It's it's amazing to think we've gone from Blind Date with Scylla Black to Naked Attraction <laughs> in maybe 30 years. It's amazing. Like at 10pm on like a Thursday night, people whip out their weird knobs <laughs> for the entirety <laughs> of the UK public to see. You know, I met someone who'd been on Naked Attraction... And how did they fare? What, they in in the actual competition or with me? Well, I, I'm sort of interested. I mean, I feel like we could save this for an actual interview because... <laughs> um, I don't think Naked Attraction's a bad thing, is it? People love it. The reviews are really good. That's the thing with Naked Attraction is that obviously it's awful, but at the same time, like... Anna Richardson is very much a body positive person. She's a wonderful presenter. Oh, yeah. Despite the amount of times she lets us know she's bisexual. We know, Anna. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, reality TV is in a weird place where it's just sort of become TV. Yeah, it, really. that's a very good point. A lot. There's so much more reality TV than there was, you know, 20 years ago. You look at stuff like, I don't know, The Apprentice. That's technically reality TV. That's like a flagship BBC show now. Because I think there are, you know, it's a bit classier. People are in suits, but there's still the catfighting. There's still the bitchiness. There's still everything you'd want from a reality show. It's just in limos. I mean, yeah, the first two weeks of The Apprentice is just getting rid of people who are entertaining, but like they need a hook to get people interested. Yeah, absolutely. Alan Sugar's very honest about that. He says like a lot of the stuff is done for entertainment. Mm. Um, 
And uh, if you do ever <laughs> happen to listen to anything Katie Hopkins says, she um, has been very frank about what goes on behind the scenes. Um, but obviously don't listen to her because she's a knob. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, reality TV has come a long way, even since 2014 when this show came out. In terms of dating reality TV, I guess Naked Attraction would fall into that category. I quite like First Dates. I think that's quite a nice show. First Dates has done a wonderful job of bridging the gap between trash and compassion. Yeah, um, contrashion, uh, if you will. Contrashion. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, they do a really good job, uh, I've got to say. Um, and also, I know a lot of people really like the undateables. I have my my qualms with that. But. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, I applaud what it's trying to do, but at the same time, there are a lot of moments on that show where it is just, let's laugh at the people with autism, which is not okay. It's very, it's very uh, 2000s, isn't it? It is very 2000s, yeah. And on Channel 4 as well, which is, you know, meant to be this liberal bastion of hope in this otherwise dark world, but maybe not. So those are our thoughts on reality TV in general, but let's talk about this specific reality TV show. As we mentioned, it's called I Want to Marry Harry, and it premiered on the 20th of May 2014 in the United States of America on, of course it did, Fox. The show was created by Danny Fenton, who serves as one of the show's producers <laughs> alongside... Fenton! <laughs> Fenton! Jesus Christ! Fenton. <laughs> he serves as one of the show's producers alongside somebody who you probably have heard of. Nathan, who else was a producer on this show? Well, this is a partnership uh, between ZigZag Productions and the man himself, uh, not Patrice Wilson. Um, <laughs> if only. Ryan Seacrest Productions, who was the Dermot O'Leary of uh, American <laughs> Idol. Seacrest is on a way higher level than O'Leary. Seacrest is like a megastar in the States. I mean, yeah, he's got his own production company, well, so yeah. he must be doing all right. Yeah, absolutely. So this had some serious cash behind it. It's a, like a massive production budget. I mean, we'll get into it, but like, it's crazy the things that they're able to do. I mean, just hiring out this venue for however long the filming actually was is crazy. Yeah, because this is like a proper palatial estate. It's a National Trust site in real life, Englefield House, so... I don't know how they managed to actually hire it out. The actual process of putting this show together, the company reached out to several people who looked like Prince Harry. They sort of went on these <laughs> they went on these look-alike websites and, and tracked people down, and they eventually settled on the hero of our story, Matt Hicks, a 23-year-old environmental consultant who had actually done some minor look-alike work as Harry in the past. He said in several interviews he'd been to nightclubs dressed as Prince Harry. He'd definitely done a stag do, or uh, a hen do or two in his time. He'd done a freshers, is not he? Come on. <laughs> they couldn't actually fly Matt out to the States for any of the meetings because it would have blown the cover. So the whole thing was done over Skype with the production companies in the UK, the US and Matt in the UK. So Ryan Seacrest didn't actually meet Matt until the filming had started. So this was a huge undertaking to try and keep this a secret. And Nathan, do you want to go into some of the background as to what happened with the female contestants on this show? <laughs> so um, they, they found their 12 gals, right... And then they were obviously all flown over to the UK. And then they had this weird sort of uh, purgatory uh, scenario where 
the filming hadn't begun, but at the same time, I think the production company realised if they were allowed outside, they might realise who Prince Harry was <laughs> and what he looked like. So um, I've got a quote from uh, Kimberly Birch, and I won't reveal where she places, but she, she said on her, her first week in England, she said, uh, when I look back, what, what did I do? <laughs> For a full week in a room by myself, I think they had the Bible, like a standard <laughs> hotel room. I, I started memorising, like, the first 30 books of the Old Testament. <laughs> That's what people are doing now. I might pop to a travel lodge, obviously, with hand sanitizer and gloves. <laughs> and I might go and grab myself a Gideon's and work my way through it. So, yeah, the women were sort of imprisoned in a hotel for a week. <laughs> Uh, with no phone, no internet, they weren't even allowed to listen to music, one of the contestants said, which was, why? Why are you not allowed to listen to music? That is a corona nightmare, isn't it? Like, that's the <laughs> ultimate corona nightmare for me. Oh, can you imagine if, if corona had hit in 2014 when these women were just stuck in this hotel? And they had no idea about what was going on outside because it might blow the cover. It's actually a perfect, like, corona series, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah, be you're a, right be like a self-contained crew you wouldn't be around anyone else um and you'd also get to spend time with the lovely matt hicks so the women were told they were going on a show called dream date where the focus would be on the women rather than the man they were told not to compare it to stuff like the bachelor etc it's just utter bollocks (laughs) yes it's just a big old lie And they were told, you know, they were looking for women who hadn't been on very extravagant dates in the past because the focus would have been that they would go on these big, elaborate excursions with somebody famous. So they didn't know who it was. They just knew they lived in a European country and that they were famous. They didn't even know it was a competition because one contestant said in an interview after the show that they didn't know the first elimination was happening until it was happening. Just awful. That that's real bad, isn't it? Like that's just what sort of contract did they sign to let the company get away with this? There's just already even pre-production. There's so many ethical issues going mm. on. Just just the basic fact of like keeping a human being in a hotel <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Uh, Where well, didn't weren't the windows boarded up? Didn't somebody say what? Yeah, I, I think, didn't see this. I think Kimberly in another interview said that they boarded up the windows as well. They actually boarded up our windows, so we didn't know what time of day it was. They'd have a chaperone come in two or three times a day just to check up on you, make sure. You didn't scratch the walls down or anything. So it was it was definitely a, a nerve-wracking experience. Oh, jeez. But yeah, the production crew went all in on this ruse, including planting crew members outside the girls' rooms to talk about the importance mm. of The Bachelor. And did you read the bit about the therapist, in inverted commas? <laughs> I did read the bit about the therapist. Do you want to explain what happened with the therapist? I, I have another quote from uh, Kimberly, okay. who was very, very open about this whole process. She said, they actually had a therapist come on set at one point and talk to a few of us who were already saying that Matt Hicks wasn't Prince Harry. We found out later that it wasn't a real licensed therapist. It was just someone from the production team. Oh my God. This is crossing all sorts of lines, isn't it? Like... I get that reality TV isn't real, but come on. This is almost sort of 
torturous levels of, <laughs> of psychological messing with. This is ridiculous. Even the worst people wouldn't pose as a therapist like <laughs> that. It's so bad. Why did Seacrest agree to this? Because he's, yeah, he's a famous guy. The last thing he needed was this on his reputation, surely. But this this is his domain, isn't it? I mean, the most famous uh, thing that Seacrest Productions have done is keeping up with the Kardashians. So, oh no, sure I didn't he... know that. Yeah, that's oh, uh, okay. according to my research. That might be total bullshit, but um, <laughs> any of this sort of morally dodgy reality stuff. I mean, even American Idol, um, mm. especially the X Factor, you know, pop idol. The audition stage of that is. Uh, some of the editing on that and uh, some of the people featured is just awful. Did you hear, Nathan, about the stunt they pulled in Memphis? I have n- not heard about the Memphis stunt. Okay, so the real Prince Harry uh, took a visit to Memphis in, I think it was in 2014. So what the production crew did was they flew Matt Hicks out to Memphis while Prince Harry was there. Mm-hmm. And he was mobbed by fans because people thought he was the real Harry. And this was all done as a publicity stunt to raise attention on this show. Well, I feel like that's not as morally awful as the stuff they put the actual <laughs> women through. Um, oh, no. No, no, no. Not nearly, as, not nearly as bad as that. But it just goes to show the lengths they were willing to go to, to make this show work and to to actually, you know, make this a big success. Because it was on a huge network. It had real big money and a real big name behind it in Ryan Seacrest. They went all out on the production, they went all out on keeping the ruse up, and it was still cancelled after four episodes of broadcast. We only got half of Matt Hicks, I'm so upset. So, how are we going to do this? We're going to do this episode a bit differently than we've done previous episodes of Bad Things, because there is so much to get through, the sheer enormity of this show. It's eight episodes. We've put aside eight hours of our isolation time to watch it. We're actually going to do this over two parts. So obviously you're listening to the first part now. We're going to take you up to the end of episode four, which is where the show was cancelled. And then in two weeks time, we're going to drop the second part of this episode where we take you through from episode five through to episode eight, the finale and the aftermath, everything that happened once the show went off the air. So I think we've covered all the bases regarding the pre-production, Nathan. Shall we head in our horse and cart down to Deerfield Manor and meet (laughs) Prince Harry, the 12 American women, and get on with the review? Let's go. These 12 women have come to London, England, looking for true love. When they meet a real Prince Charming. Our boyfriend's someone big. That's Prince Harry. No way. It can't be. He's Prince Harry, and I know it. This could be a true Cinderella story. Oh my god, babe! Prince Harry is my ideal guy. He's charming. He's my dream guy. Only in this fairy tale, it's the prince who's hiding a secret. So we begin our journey at this lavish estate in quote-unquote London. I I need to stop you right there. Like, (laughs) I was so angry about this locational thing that ended up... So I I was so angry. So it's actually... You briefly mentioned it. It's actually an Englefield house, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In Berkshire. It's in Berkshire. Um, (laughs) Which is... So I used to live in West Drayton, and apologies to anyone who lives in West Drayton. Good luck to you. Um, but that, that was in Zone 6 out west in London. And then mm. Reading, which is where 
there's the nearest location to where big location to where Englefield House is is at the end of that train line, unless you're going on any further than that, and then you change at Reading and it's 400 platforms. <laughs> so I actually put into Google Maps the distance between the London Eye, which I know is a key location in this uh, this whole story, <laughs> and Englefield House. It would take you, and this was, of course, with low traffic uh, because of uh, everything that's going on, it would take you an hour and 21 minutes to drive from the <laughs> London Eye to... Englefield House. So, yeah. Let's try and keep up with the lies that are being told throughout this programme. We've not even met any people yet and they've already lied about where the house is. Yeah, I just needed to rant about that. <laughs> now I'm good. Now I've got that out. Okay, yes, okay. Well, Nathan's had a lie down. Old man Packham has, has got that out of his system. So, we meet Matt Hicks, who is described as... <laughs> he's described as poor because he doesn't own a car. I think I'm about to rant again. <laughs> Let, should, we, should we go through the reasons he's not poor, okay? Well, he works for an environmental consultancy, for a start. In oil, so he works within the oil industry. Yeah, he's like he, he says that he works cleaning up oil spills, and then they show these shots of him like digging a big hole. What, is he literally just going out with a spade and like shoveling up oil? Is that what an... He didn't even know how to hold a spade! <laughs> I didn't pick up on this, but... <laughs> Maybe he can't even hold a spade. Um, but yeah, they really put over the fact that Matt is this ordinary guy, um, despite the fact that he is incredibly well-spoken, and that he's looking for somebody to like him for who he is. So naturally, he goes on a show that puts on this elaborate fa- facade where he pretends to be a member of the royal family. <laughs> it's off to a good start. So we meet the first of our menagerie of side characters, and... This is the best character in the entire show. Do you want to talk, Nathan, about... Well, certainly my favourite part of this whole thing, and hopefully yours. Do you want to talk about Kingsley? So, Kingsley, he he sort of has a defined, undefined role where he is mostly butler, I think it's fair to say, Mm. but also part confidant, part... Uh, game show host, uh, part sort of only the person with any, any sort of moral <laughs> like standing in the show. Uh, he's portrayed by a guy called Paul Leonard, which is quite a disappointing um, uh, name uh, for someone who is held in such high esteem in the show. Uh, I had a look at Paul Leonard's IMDb account. Um, he is credited, he was in Les Mis, yeah. the film, a remake of Les Mis, where he is credited as Citizen. <laughs> so th- this is probably the biggest role this guy's mm. ever been in. Yeah, I, I also did a bit of Googling. He's been in Les Mis, he was in Darkest Hour, the Churchill biopic that yeah. came out. He was in an episode of Sherlock, uh, and he was in an, the Mamma Mia sequel, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. He's never been in anything prominently apart from I Want to Marry Harry, where he played Kingsley for eight episodes. But he's really fucking good. He's so good. I don't... um, He plays the role well. He is compassionate towards the girls. He makes sort of funny asides, sort of talks about how twerking shouldn't be legal, which I found hilarious. Um, He nails his role and becomes the real star of the show, in my opinion. Kingsley is in charge with turning Matt into Harry. He gets some lessons on Harry's background. He has to learn a bunch of facts. Uh, He has to learn how to play polo, shoot skeet and fence. 
None of these things come up again in the series, but, you know, never mind. Um, and finally, Har- uh, I'm going to use Harry and Matt interchangeably, I think. That's uh, <laughs> what I've done throughout my notes <laughs> as well. Uh, Matt is turned into Harry with a makeover because Matt is not a natural ginge. He's a blonde. So they dye yes. his hair red and he comes out looking a little bit like Harry. What did you think of Matt actually as Harry? Was he, was he convincing? Would you have been fooled? Well, in the opening episode, they label him as a 99% match. Yeah, they have this sort of graphic where, like, a facial scanner scans Matt's face. I will give him 61%. (laughs) There are some shots where he really does look like Harry, but equally there are some shots where he looks more like William. Yeah, that is a fair point. Yeah, he he has more of a William face, I would say. Mm. And then he's got the, uh, the ginger Harry... Uh, look. Yeah, absolutely. And as we know, um, Prince William and Prince Harry aren't fully related, so he really can't look like him. I was wondering, Nathan, if you'd ever been compared to anyone famous, have you ever been mistaken for anyone? Are you about to drop me in it? Because you know, you know one (laughs) one virtual character that I've been... Well, I wasn't yeah. going to bring this up unless you were comfortable, but you've started it now. So. <laughs> For people who don't know, um, if you're not sure on our uh, on our uh, artwork or photos, who is who? I am the most generic-looking white <laughs> Sussex man you have ever met in your life. So I have previously been compared to the default Nintendo me on uh, the Wii console. Uh, <laughs> There's a great picture of you in a red jumper and black trousers with your hands out, like the pose in the, um, yep. the me selection screen, and somebody put it next to the picture of the me, and it's my favourite picture of all time. <laughs> That's t- That was from 2013. It's Jeez. so good. I've had Freddie Highmore as well, I think that's his name. He was in Charlie uh, and the, yeah, the, the Chocolate yeah. Factory. I've had him before as well, maybe when I was more of a kid. Um, but I'm interested to hear who you've been compared to. Have you just been compared to various hairy men? <laughs> um, not hairy men. Uh, I get Chris O'Dowd sometimes. Yep, yeah. Um, I, I get looks like Chris O'Dowd, sounds like Richard Iowardi quite a lot, which is fun for me. Um, somebody on a dating app once said I look like Tom Hanks. What? In Castaway? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> All right, I, I've got some body hair. I'm not an ape. I'm not been stranded <laughs> on an island. In terms of, of actual famous people, I've never been mistaken for anybody famous or anything like that. I certainly wouldn't pass for a 99% match on a, uh, on a Chris O'Dowd dating reality show. Uh, I'm sure many people out there would love to date the Nintendo me, Nathan, so maybe we could give Ryan a call and see if we can get the next series up and running. <laughs> this man is the Nintendo me. <laughs> <laughs> so... We then meet the women, all 12 of them. Uh, it takes we them get... eight minutes to introduce any women, just to point that out. <laughs> yeah, and we don't get them all at once. We get them sort of sporadically throughout the show, but I have rounded them all up into one list here. Uh, we, so... I think we should put some maybe whole lot of love over this <laughs> and do like a top of the pops uh, <laughs> rundown of the women. All right, brilliant. Okay, me in the edit. Go. Right, coming in at number 12, we have <laughs> Annalisa, who is a beauty queen who used to be Miss LA. Coming in at number 11 is Jacqueline, who describes herself as awesome, but a bitch. 
10 is... These are the exact notes I've got for these. (laughs) 10 is Andrea, who's tall, sporty, and used to compete in the Miss USA pageant system, which is owned by Donald Trump. And uh, her her most romantic date up to this point was going to a casino. Going to a casino. Uh, Number 9 is Carly, who's a pre-med student, who's tall, pretty, smart, but very boring. 8 is Rose, a preschool teacher who says she's the naughty one. Kimberly is at number seven, who's very sweet and very New York. Six is Maggie, who likes to drink a lot. <laughs> That's it. Five is Chelsea, and if you uh, are wondering why that name sounds familiar, that is the name of Prince Harry's ex-girlfriend. Uh, she says she's off her rocker and is out for a rich man. And if you thought the coincidence surrounding that was weird, number four is Megan. With an H. With an H. She's an artist who's very cocky, very self-centred, and is set up as the show's villain. Number three is Karina, who's blonde, very pretty, a hopeless romantic. Uh, She's described by the others as an oldie, but she's only 25. (laughs) Jeez, I'm I'm beyond an oldie in a couple of months. (laughs) And coming in at number one is Kelly, a self-described southern belle who is the most southern woman in the world. (laughs) But she may vote Democrat, you never know. <laughs> She's from Alabama, no chance. So, that was our little uh, Top of the Pops style uh, rundown there of all the contestants. Don't worry if you've forgotten who they are. So did I, after watching this first episode. So And for women... subsequent episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, the women are all speculating over who this guy is. They're all ferried in to this elaborate manner. They all you know, scream and shout. One of them compares it to Downton Abbey, uh, which puts a nice little timestamp on when this came out. Uh, did any of the girls stand out to you straight away, maybe, in terms of personality? <laughs> Not like that. Jesus. Uh, no, I, well, I was laughing at, like, the fact that, like, you you feel as though they weren't just presented as, um, <laughs> you know, they were massively dehumanised straight away, basically. <laughs> um, I'm looking back on my notes, and I have basically the same notes as what you uh, what you just said there. For some reason, I have written down initially that Maggie, who will go on to be um, a stonewall alcoholic in this series, seems a bit better than the rest. Well, I was wrong about that one, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> oh jeez. Um I should point out that any comments we make about the people in this show are not directed at the people themselves. We understand this is a reality show. We understand that these are accentuated characters that and anything we say should not be taken as true in any way shape or form with regards to these people as actual human beings I, I and, think and don't get me say. wrong like maggie was one of the people with like had way more going uh like going on than some of the other girls in this <laughs> series oh god yeah there are some real real filler characters in this don't get me wrong so we all sort of meet the women they all sort of get to know each other and, and run around this castle for a bit and then they go out to have afternoon tea on some gravel They're just like in the driveway when all of a sudden a helicopter appears overhead and the helicopter lands on the field of the estate and outsteps the mystery man. Oh my God. Is that who I think it is? That's Prince Harry. I hope I really don't sound ignorant saying this, but I don't know what Prince Harry looks like. The response to the mystery man is mixed, shall we say. Uh, Some people jump straight to the conclusion that he is Prince Harry. Uh, 
Andrea and Kelly are the front runners there and people who are actually convinced. Uh, whilst Megan and Jacqueline, they, they throw in the opinion that he isn't. Uh, Chelsea, on the other hand, doesn't know who Prince, what Prince Harry looks like, uh, so can't comment. My favourite quote from this, did you get what Kimberly said about the Secret Service? <laughs> did because one of the people mentioned had been dead for half a decade so i don't know how they were still getting secret service who else has secret service the queen the president this is the coolest thing ever michael jackson and i don't think he's anyone of those so yeah, there we go. Could be the Queen, could be the President, it could be Michael Jackson's reanimated corpse. We get Kingsley back. He gathers the girls and says there should be a masquerade ball where the ladies shall get the chance to meet Sir. Now he never actually refers to him as Harry for the first few episodes. He only ever refers to him as Sir. Is that a lie or is that just not the truth? Um, I vastly appreciated taking it with that angle and I'd wish they tried to run with it for the whole thing rather than, well, we'll, we'll get to it, but yeah. you know, they, they just say that he's the person that he's not. So Nathan, do you want to tell the listeners at home the sort of the big premise of the actual competition element of this show? What happens to the winners? What happens to the losers? So they've got 12 women that they've got to eliminate over the the span of eight weeks. Um, So there are some deviations to this. But basically what happens is Matt hangs out. He he kind of focuses in on a girl who gets to go to what is known as the crown suite. Obviously for this first episode, uh, no one's in the crown suite. But going forward, he chooses a girl to go in the crown suite. And then the following episode, they spend the majority of the day together. Even though normally in the second half of the episode, they all just end up sort of twerking and making making out with him, like all of them <laughs> together. Um, and then uh, the rather sadder element of it is that one girl is asked to also speak to uh, Harry, Matt, whatever, in uh, a separate location. They, they're very good with their locations on these. Like these are some proper nice places to be told that you're leaving a wonderful <laughs> estate. But yeah, so the uh, the other girl who gets called is asked to leave. Uh, and we will discuss the variations within that as we go forward. This episode really, in further episodes, in future episodes, there is a lot more going on, but this is focused pretty much entirely on the masquerade ball. Uh, so we'll skip straight to that. I think that there's a bit where they sort of get ready. Leah feels a bit lost. She's set up as being quite sympathetic. She says something really worrying at some point. Where is it? What she says? Oh, she says, um, uh, "Most guys that date me just get me drunk and make out with me at the back of the bar." Jeez, which uh, is quite terrifying. Uh, so you know, I, I really felt for Leia here. I, I actually, I was sort of warming towards her as a character. Uh, Megan's character is defined very early on as well as the sort of uh, I, I hate to use this word that the bitch of the group. <laughs> you know, she makes comments about the other women. She promotes herself a lot. Talks about how hot she is. Talks about how eligible she is. Obviously, this is her character in the show, not a reflection on Megan Jones, the actual person. Um, but what what did you make of, of Megan? Because I think she's definitely the biggest character in this first episode. Um, I think unfairly villainised at points. Um, she, I mean, obviously she is a game player, but I didn't... F- I mean, some of the stuff she said was really weird. I mean, referring to him as babe straight away. And also her <laughs> obsession with having eye sex with him was quite bizarre. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, she was by far not the most offensive, uh, person I'd ever seen in a reality TV show. Um, she were, she was just a confident person. She put herself out there. She was quite a sexual person. That's fine. 
Um, but yeah, I didn't find like I didn't find her to be that bad. I don't know what you thought. Um, I probably took more offence to what she was saying than you did. Uh, I I think again, yeah, you obviously can't tell with the with the power of editing, but every single clip she was in, these sort of talking head bits, she was saying either something nasty about one of the other women or something great about herself. But then again, I think you need that sort of character in this reality format. And she was obviously, like you said, the most confident one. So they just singled her out as this sort of villain. But she gets a lot of screen time in this first episode, as does Leah. We we get some screen time with Kimberly as well, who comes across as a bit sort of... How would you say Kimberly comes across in this first episode? She's just like, oh, did you know I'm from New York? If I mentioned New York, I'm from New York. Oh, we don't have tea in New York. Uh, but um, she comes across as uh, a lot sweeter than some of the other girls and more reserved. You know, this, this is one of the problems with reality TV is you, they don't talk up uh, how important it could be to be a reserved person mm. and like how much that is appreciated. And actually, fair play to Hicks as we go down. Uh, he does uh, pick out um, some reserved people to carry on the process uh, rather than going with uh, the obvious. And just on Megan as well, uh, she she went on that radio show as well. What was it called? Uh, Kid Nation, I think is what it was called. <laughs> and uh, she just came across as like a human being, mm. really, and like far less villainous than she is on this show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think she's actually a monster. That's <laughs> just to clarify that now. We get to the masquerade ball. The women are all there in, in their lovely ball gowns and their elaborate masks, and they all get to meet Harry, quote-unquote, who's also in a mask, one by one as they walk down this um, <laughs> this long red carpet with, with a load of fire breathers either side of them. <laughs> Did you see the one with the flaming hula hoop? No. <laughs> there was one with a, like doing a hula hoop, but it was on fire. Oh. It was insane. I, my one of my notes is just how much did this cost to put on? We're, we're going to get to it, but I think the budget is blown by about episode four because there's a. I think it's episode four. There's a specific date that happens where you're like, yeah, you've you've got no money left, have you? We meet all the women. Matt says, I can barely remember a single name. Me too, mate. <laughs> exactly what I wrote. Uh, he starts chatting with the gals who call him a mixture of things. Did you get some of the names that they had for Matt? I haven't really, I must admit. I've got four here. Uh, Prince Charming. One group of girls says, we nicknamed you Boyfriend. (laughs) Sir is something they also call him. And somebody calls him Master, which causes Matt to spit (laughs) his drink out. Fifty Shades of uh, Deerfield Manor. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Hicks. At this point, as we mentioned, Matt isn't outright lying. He's just deflecting a lot. He, you know, people ask him what he does for a living. His response is this and that. Uh, he, he sprinkles in a bit of the the sort of Harry stuff. He, he think he mentions like his family's quite important. Um, but yeah, he's not out and out lying at this point. But a lot of the women are definitely convinced this is Harry. There's obviously some sceptics. But I think they all believe he's certainly someone important, right? Uh, yeah, they they are won over to his importance, um, which I think is fine for the first episode. Mm. And 
actually would have been fine going forward, but <laughs> they decide to just fuck the ambiguity and just like <laughs> outright lie. Um, but I, yeah, I was surprised by the subtlety of it initially. And fair play to Hicks, uh, he he basically just uses his uh, his British accent and his British charm to get away with saying about just about nothing about what he does. We get Matt interacting with some of the gals. He tries to dance with Leah, who's rubbish and steps on his toes. Uh, he chats with Maggie, who is getting very drunk throughout this. Uh, he has a bit of a one-on-one with Rose. He takes her off to this magical birdcage thingy, <laughs> which is just sort of off to the side. He says that she's very loud and very forward, a.k.a. American. Well, you say that, you say that, but he he says the English girls are reserved, but, like, has he ever been on a night out? Like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> and just to confirm that, that this is not a generalising comment about women, I'm referring to all people uh, <laughs> when they have booze, uh, because all, obviously we're all essentially the same, apart from a few genitalia and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, some uh, pheromones and shit. I'm going to edit that bit out so it makes you sound like a sexist. Thanks. One of my favourite comments on this was uh, Megan's comment on Maggie, where she says, Maggie drinks a lot and that's not royal. (laughs) I I beg to differ. So they all unmask at midnight. It's all very romantic. It's all, you know, very nicely scored with the strings and whatnot. And immediately uh, Harry is drawn to the likes of Kimberly, Megan, Leah and Rose. They're the four that are sort of highlighted, so you can kind of tell they're the ones who are going to be in contention for uh, either getting the boot or getting the crown suite. <laughs> getting the boot. Yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> oh, it's, it's just, it's a perfect way to sum up the brutality of the show. <laughs> or the bootality. Don't wait, calm down. So we get, uh, it sounds like we're whizzing through this, not much actually happens in the first episode. Uh, we get straight to the first decision decision of the show Kingsley takes Matt away and you know asks him a few questions about the very limited interaction he's had I, ne- I never like this on reality shows where they have to get rid of somebody in the first episode we- we've barely got to know them it seems it seems really unfair at this point yeah just just let it sit and see you know and then do the twerking the next day and then decide <laughs> who you want to get rid of based on the twerking it comes down to Rose and Leah And this is one of my problems with the format of the show. It comes down to these two, and you know that one of them is going to leave and one of them is going to get the crown suite. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time you could usually tell which one it's going to be based on the interactions they've had in the show. I don't know if you found that at all. Uh, I was very concerned by this first episode because of the clear binary there was between <laughs> these two. But going forward, they they mixed it up a little bit at points and mm. it made it a bit more palatable. But I would agree that maybe half of the episodes, it was quite obvious where it was going to go. Yeah, especially in the early ones, yeah. uh, just based on like how much he'd had time interacting with the with the ladies and so on just get um, them in the boardroom like get three of them in the boardroom and like <laughs> then it'll be a bit more interesting oh kingsley and nick hewer what a power couple <laughs> they would have been rather obviously i think because he took one of them off to a magical bird cage and one of them stepped on his feet uh, unfortunately we say goodbye to leah who i really did like she came across as really quite nice in this first episode uh but yeah we don't get any more of her because she's out the door about half an hour in were you upset by this 
Well, I I was upset, but not shocked that the most alternative uh, thinking woman was eliminated <laughs> straight away. An alternative looking woman as well. Yes, and I I hope that when she went back home, she no longer spent her time round the backs of dive bars. I had a feeling that I was going to be leaving. I don't think there is a strategy for chemistry. It's either there, or it's not. I mean, I was myself, and that's all I really can do. My fairy tale's probably not over. It's just going to be a little less fancy than this. There's the Prince Charming out there for me, but it's just not Prince Harry. So, in terms of first episodes, what did you think? Oh, it it proper hooked me in. I'm not oh, going to really? lie. Like okay. I, I uh, was. <laughs> Considering that it's viewed as one of the worst TV shows to ever been created, I thoroughly enjoyed myself uh, this first episode. Within that context, I mean, outside of that context, I would obviously never... Well, I mean, I'd say I would never watch it, but I'd probably get dragged into it as well. But let's pretend that I would never watch it. There are massive problems with uh, <laughs> the portrayals of the women. Um... There, there are slightly less problems than what we will see going forward with how Matt is viewed and his status and who he actually is. Mm. Um, all in all, I didn't find it as awful as I thought I was going to. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'd echo that. It, it's it's trashy reality, but I think in, in terms of trashy reality, it's not bad for a first episode. I've heard that this has sort of gathered a cult status as well within a sort of pseudo-hipster community, which is the sort of thing I can get behind. So uh, maybe it's not that morally bad, I don't know. So we've said goodbye to Leah, and it's time to say hello to episode two. And we start with Matt entering the Crown Suite to talk to Rose. She's brushing her teeth out the window? She's got, like, a head out the window. She's... I don't, I, not important, but it, very, very strange. When the view is so good that even the two minutes it takes to brush your teeth, you've <laughs> got to have a look at what's going on at Deerfield today. Um, I'm I'm a wanderer when I brush my teeth. I can't stand still. I'm usually oh, I'm sort of awful. wandering around there. Yeah. Usually wandering around the house trying to do something. I never stick my head out the window though. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe it's maybe it's good for you. Matt and Rose that enjoy a lovely breakfast in the Crown Suite, and Rose tries to get to the bottom of who he is. She asks if he's a skier. I didn't know if she meant like a professional skier or just someone who skis in their pastime. That's a weird it's a weird question to ask someone on a first date. I mean, it's definitely correct as well, because obviously Matt Hicks is loaded and that's all that loaded people do is go skiing. <laughs> do you think Matt Hicks is actually loaded in, in real life? I I don't think he's ever struggled for money, is what I'm going to say. No, he's certainly not as poor as they make him out to be. They showed shots of him riding round on his bike over uh, one of the nicest looking bridges I'd ever seen <laughs> and streets I'd ever seen in my life. And let me tell I... you, Nathan Packham is a man who's seen some nice bridges in oh, his time. I've been to Boss Castle and some of those bridges are bloody great. <laughs> we learn about the first mega date that the two were going to go on. They're off for lunch on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> Did you work out the distance between Englefield Manor and the Isle of Wight? I didn't, but I would be very oh. concerned by the uh, the engine capacity of a fucking helicopter. Yeah, the range going of a helicopter. from Reading across the ocean <laughs> to the Isle of Wight. I mean, poor girl. Like, seriously, your first date on a reality TV show, you get to go in the fucking freezing cold water in the Isle of Wight. What is that? <laughs> I've heard lovely things about the Isle of Wight. You know, the Donkey Sanctuary at Ride's meant to be quite nice. 
I've been. It's actually like it's a good slice of old school British holiday. Actually, it's not too bad. Oh, okay. That was actually one of my questions for you: is if you have you ever been? I've not. Uh, maybe when all this is over, we can go on a bad things holiday to the Isle of Wight. And... We'll we'll get on the hovercraft to. Uh... <laughs> can we recreate some of the scenes from this show in the Isle of Wight? Obviously, without all the kissing and, and stuff. Oh, that that would be really bad, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, it would be uh, awful. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't want to do that. At this point, we get the first. Um, I'm going to say lie from Matt. Uh, they're walking down to the beach, and Rose says, "This is definitely the royal treatment." Wow. Well, if the date of a royal can't be treated well, then how can she? A date with a royal? Oh, but once again, love the subtlety and the swerving of that. Like, he's he's not explicitly saying, this is me. He could just be sort of half heard her because he was thinking about how cold he was. <laughs> and he, he could have replied uh, like that. So I thought that was pretty good. They eat some lobsters on the beach. Uh, Rose comments on Matt's security, which is all part of the ruse. Rose asks Matt to eat some oysters because they're an aphrodisiac. <laughs> Yes. Is that true? I believe they are one of the uh, cliché aphrodisiacs, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, really? I'm, as- I'm asking you as a, as a deeply sexual being. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <you're> s- <laughs> <laughs> Look, as I said on the first episode, I definitely wasn't having sex at 17, so that, that discounts me from your description. Hey, I don't know what the me's get up to when we go off that home screen. We are you know. we are pure and asexual beings who just <laughs> mill around the 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 me compound until the you return sort of... to play some tennis. <laughs> so uh, they then go swimming. Uh, well, I say swimming. They put their feet in the water. They go about two feet into the water. Uh, Matt is incredibly pale, but he's got a decent bod. I thought. Uh, his body's hot, yeah, like, there's no getting around it. His body's hot. Like, come on. All that shoveling oil, you know. <laughs> yeah, you'd think he'd be slightly uh, slightly more tad with all those hours he's put into the field not being able to hold a shovel. <laughs> well, the reflective jacket probably, you know, deflects some of the sun rays away. Yeah. Or maybe I've just got some sort of weird fantasy of him just in a reflective jacket. But anyway, enough of all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a great quote from Matt here in his sort of incompetent, bumbling English way. Rose is quite keen on the beach for a bit of hanky-panky. She's flirty. Perhaps not the way to behave with a royal on a first date, but good signs for me, I guess. Oh, he's just so British. Um, is is he more bumbling British than Michael fucking Carrington? Well, I did make a link between the two in my in my notes because neither of them can decide whether they were state or privately educated <laughs> throughout the entirety of their media. But what would they say if they knew it was Matt Hicks? That's the real question. They'd probably be like, oh, right, you're actually a decent guy, so there's no need for this <laughs> fucking charade in the first place. I think this, is, this goes pretty well as a date. It, it certainly goes well for them because they start making out in the water. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he would have tried to, you know, maybe get a bit of an erection, but he couldn't because he was so cold. (laughs) I'm beginning to think you really didn't enjoy your holiday to the Isle of Wight. No, I, I did. I just questioned the uh, the production choices here when they clearly had basically an unlimited budget, at least for the first four episodes, and uh, they decide that the uh, a freezing beach on the Isle of Wight is the way forward. 
Um, I've got two quotes from the sort of swimming. Um, as you said, he he takes his top off, and the, there's the big reveal. And uh, Rose just shits on it straight away, and she's just like, oh, "It's a bit white for my taste." <laughs> well, they are American, so they're really not used to pale people. Yeah, I think I'd be considered pale if I went over to the states. I wouldn't be able to see through all the hair, would they? So they wouldn't know. <laughs> As I come out of the forest, just clutching my volleyball. And then when they, they get to it... Uh, oh, God, that sounded so ridiculous. Get to it. They get... <laughs> um, he, Matt's just all of a sudden exclaims, Did you touch my bum? Did you just touch my bum? Oh, Matt, he's so precious. So that was a, a very good date. It actually got me thinking about some of the worst dates that I've been on. Have I told you about the date that went incredibly well until it didn't? I mean, that sounds like all your dates, Jacob, but uh, do, do go on. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so we, we, we had a lovely time. We went to this sort of uh, hipster tea room type place. We got chatting, uh, walked back to her place, and I thought, you know, this could be going rather well. Sat on the bed. I looked at her. She looked at me, and she said, I don't think anything's going to happen here. <laughs> While you were sitting on the bed? Yep. Oh, yep. that wouldn't happen in the crowd suite. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but that doesn't happen with Matt and Rose because they are very much uh, loved up at this point. They come back to Deerfield Manor in the helicopter, holding hands, strolling onto the lawn where the rest of the girls are playing croquet because that's what all English people do in their spare time. Uh, that's what I've been doing during lockdown. It's just croquet in the days away. Do you know how to play croquet? I have played croquet probably about five times because one of my friends had a croquet set. So it was the most down-to-earth game of croquet with severe amounts of cheating throughout. So <laughs> that's, that's the only time I've played croquet. I do know how to play it. It's quite simple, isn't it? Um, you, don't don't say, like, isn't it, like I know. I don't know. I've got a clue. What, what I like about croquet is you sort of make your own course, don't you? You just sort of, you sort of dig Stop the... Stop saying, don't you, like I know. I, I'm, I'm the working-class <laughs> shine on this episode. I'm the chimney sweep that you've roped in. <laughs> You're you're who Matt Hicks wishes he was. <laughs> you're who Matt Hicks actually is. Oh, shut up. <laughs> they divide themselves up into teams for croquet, but Matt takes Kimberly to one side for a little one-on-one uh, -on -one chat. I thought Kim came across so well in this chat. I've put already that she's my favourite. I mean, yeah, she is the perfect mix between being a little bit sassy and American and also being authentic and reserved. <laughs> sudden you hear all like the gravel flying everywhere the security guard runs out of the car throughout this process there'll be a few instances thrown in the mix that will keep them gossiping about whether or not i am prince harry what the f but while Matt is chatting to Kimberly, a Range Rover speeds up with complete with some some fake car sounds, and Matt is whisked away uh, by his security, uh, presumably because I don't know another leaked nude photo had been discovered or something. I don't know. Uh, and this is all done as part of the ruse to like keep up the pretense that he is in fact Harry. Did you think this was uh, a good? bit of the show the security pretense well uh, despite it being presented as this dramatic moment i thought it was really boring <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really lead to anything does it he, he gets whisked away and in the in it's the... the reproduction song if i want to marry harry 
So from croquet to cricket now, the uh, Harry Harry's back on the estate after his um his uh, jaunt in the Range Rover, and uh, we learn that some of the girls will be playing cricket with Harry, while some will be making afternoon tea because again, that's what all English people do in their spare time. Rose decides who's going to do what. Uh, she picks herself, Karina, and Andrea to make the tea. Andrea is not happy with this at all. She's very sporty, and she wanted to show off to Matt in one of the least athletic sports known to man. Do you ever played much cricket? Uh, not outside of school. No, not really. I, I can't stand cricket. I find it so boring. Yeah, I, I did a charity cricket match once, and it, that was kind of fun, but I didn't have to put on the whole, like, cricket whites, which just look just so warm. <laughs> um, and I, I had fun doing that, but it's not something I would want to take up on a regular basis. We get to the afternoon tea-making bit, and we meet we meet maybe my second favourite side character, this tiny old woman is teaching them how to make the tea. I have been absolutely horrible to her in my notes. And looking back now, uh, I have labelled her as a right bitch, is <gasps> how I described oh her. Oh my god, I didn't get... What, what did she do? <laughs> she was... Well, as the snowflake that I am, I thought she was far too instructional to all the girls. Like, actually <laughs> making them do things correctly, girl. But Andrea did not enjoy her company. She was on your side in that and she goes off on one about the woman. This little English chef is telling me to hurry up and cut faster. Faster, faster, faster. Look at her, get it. Get that butter on there. And then all the girls are over there in these cute little baby skirts and half tops and oh, hitting the ball and I am in hell. It's so funny. This is the bit where we find out a bit more about some of the girls. Uh, We find out that Karina is half Mexican (laughs) And half Irish. So this is so good. <laughs> how did that happen? Well, you know, people meet and things happen. I, well, uh, I, I know how more... it happened. <laughs> I, I was more uh, amazed by Matt's utterly British reaction, uh, which was sort of half really sweet and half massively offensive. What did he say? He said, wow, what a combo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't make fun of that because I'd probably say exactly the same thing. <laughs> In the heat of the moment, we'd both say that awful oh, thing. for sure. Have you ever met anybody uh, who is of a very interesting mixed heritage? Um, I have a work colleague who I used to work with who is half Irish, half Sri Lankan. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's uh, really good. Um, yes, uh, and there were weeks of tension because, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, her name is Sinead. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were weeks of tension because I was just there like, how, how is she called Sinead? But at the same time, she doesn't, you know, and in quotation marks, look very Irish. Um, so, uh, oh no, uh, there, there were weeks of tension there until I finally asked her what her ancestral history was. And, uh, I calmed down. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad, and and it's not a bad thing because you are you're good friends to this day. I've met Sinead; she's lovely. Yes, we we are good friends. It's all good. Uh, my my ignorance didn't stretch to the point where she didn't want to hang out with me anymore. <laughs> we also get a conversation between Matt and Jacqueline, who describes herself as a wild child. Jacqueline is another one of my sort of low key favourites in this. She's a bit more forward than than Kim but she's definitely one of the the bigger characters without straying over the line of being nasty at any point I don't have a lot of notes on Jacqueline <laughs> oh no 
Oh, um, I really quite like. I really I, quite I like. I do have her. something about Jacqueline later on, uh, but that's oh, because okay. we get an explosive ending to this episode. Oh yes, we do. Yeah, no, it really ramps up here. We'll get to that quickly. Uh, so, if we haven't, if you're wondering what happened to the cricket match. It's completely non-consequential for the rest of the episode. <laughs> they can't bowl. They can't bat. <laughs> it's all just a premise for them to touch each other. <laughs> And wear the most revealing cricket outfits of all time. So we go to a... What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you wouldn't see, uh, insert cliche man name here, wearing some of these uh, some of these outfits on the no, cricket pitch. Freddie Flintoff. You wouldn't catch Darren Goff. Darren, catch Darren Goff. Goff wearing that. Oh. <laughs> Strictly Come Dancing winner. Oh, I'm trying to think of some more now. Kevin Peterson, Monty Panasar, <laughs> Ian uh, Botham. Ian... <laughs> oh, do you know uh, Ian Botham's favourite band is definitely Queen. He loves a bit of the <laughs> Ian Botham. Do you remember? And this is a massive aside. Do you remember when somebody hacked Ian Botham's Twitter account and posted a picture of his penis? <laughs> no, I do not remember this. <laughs> And obviously his nickname's Beefy, so the the tabloids had an absolute field day with that one. Was it was it a scorned ex lover or was it just someone who voted Remain? <laughs> possibly neither, possibly both. We'll never know. Ian Botham aside, we go to a formal. <laughs> we're keeping that in. Uh, we go to a formal dinner, um, and I've noted that there are so many activities per episode because we've had the Isle of Wight, croquet, cricket, and now a formal dinner. If this was like a holiday camp, you'd be more than get your money's worth, wouldn't you? This is what you think hostel life is going to be like when you go travelling, but really it's just four <laughs> hours of watching Storage Wars and then going out and some dinner. <laughs> Matt has made the girls watch Storage Wars. <laughs> That's a really good impression of the narrator. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, we go to the formal dinner at Seafood again. Uh, Maggie almost chucks up and she has an oyster uh she gets drunk again uh which is <laughs> pretty much our only defining character trait in these early episodes Ke- kelly's quote from this uh this scene maggie's in denial that she's a drunk and that's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's a very liberal attitude from kelly there yeah, we'll we'll see her attitude change as we go on. Yeah. And that's it, really. The formal dinner is, again, quite inconsequential to what's going on. And it comes down to Matt's second choice of the process, and he narrows it down to Andrea and Kimberly. Again, I felt like this was really telegraphed, like who was going to go home. I mean, yeah, Andrea has done nothing but say that she likes sports, and Kimberly's really nice, so yeah. uh, who's so- going to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you couldn't already figure out, Andrea gets sent home. She is in floods of tears. She is just crying so much. So many of them cry on this process, and it's really horrible to watch. But there was a really human moment with her where she's crying, and she's only crying mm. in the context of the fact she normally wins beauty pageants. Like, she oh, says yeah, that yeah, openly. Yeah. But then she's crying, and she's like, well, he's not my type, so it's fine. <laughs> Which uh, the, I'm sure we've all done before. The, did you pick up on why he wasn't her type? I didn't, actually. She said, and I quote, he's ginger and has bad teeth. <laughs> How did I miss that? I don't normally go for a ginger with bad teeth. He's not my type. Then oh, we get just the nicest moment where Kimberly goes into the crown suite and Rose is there and they're just so happy to see each other and it's really sweet and it's really nice. <laughs> and I love them both. 
yeah, it's a fine line between being happy for someone and just pretending to be happy in this quite a lot. But I think this may have been one of the more authentically happy moments. Yeah, they they both seem like really nice people, Rose and Kimberly. Um, and then we take a massive swerve uh, to probably the highlight of the season. <laughs> Do you want to talk us through this? So there's some tension between the girls, um, and please correct me if I get the names wrong here, but mm. on one side we've got Megan, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, uh, th- there's tension between Megan and Maggie and Jacqueline. Am I correct? Yeah, it's, it's Megan and Annalisa uh, okay. who are sort of banded together. Um, Megan has a go at Maggie over the drinking, and then Jacqueline steps in to defend Maggie, and then we get this incredible exchange. You're- so far up your ass, I could My eat, ass. I could eat alphabet soup and something out that made more sense than what you're saying right now. The weirdest insult of all time from <laughs> Megan. The the mo- the clunkiest, elongated insult I think I've ever heard. It's an incredible insult. It, it's. I think the only problem I have with it is it is played loads of times in like a sort of coming up packages that they play when they go to commercial. That's the only thing that ruins it for me. But... It's because it's the pose that Megan does as well, where she gets a full <laughs> clench on her ass as well. And <laughs> yeah, like... She's, she's like pointing her ass at Jacqueline and then like slaps her ass as she delivers the line. It's, it's amazing. And then simulates grabbing the alphabet soup out of her ass. <laughs> It is the perfect end to this episode. It's phenomenal and really nicely sets up the tension going forward as, you know, manicured and manufactured as the tension is. Episode two, better than episode one? The ending is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> I could eat alphabet soup and shit it out of my ass. I mean... <laughs> she has to clarify where she's going to shit it out of. It's... So good. So, episode three. We're motoring along quite nicely now, and we start with Matt and Kim's date, and this is a hell of a date. They go off in a giant Union Jack hot air balloon. I mean, I, I feel sorry for her. She had to get up before six to do this. Do you think that the um, Union Jack hot air balloon was repurposed uh, for any Brexit celebrations? Oh, so, I mean, both of them definitely bought it out. <laughs> They borrowed it off of Beefy for the episode. Beefy's balloons. <laughs> it's just a giant shot of his dick. That's the balloon. Oh my god. Uh, Kim compares the hot air balloon to a unicorn. Yep. I've never seen a hot air balloon before. It's like a unicorn to me. The other quote I got from her as they were sort of going up in Beefy's balloon. Um, <laughs> that's not a unicorn. That's sorry, that's uh, that is um, prime beef. Um, she says, uh, and the, I mean, this might shock some people, when you're high up, you can see more stuff. Um, and she says, everywhere you turn, you just see like vastness. <laughs> Oh, bless her. I don't know whether I'd find that, like, because I want to date Kim is essentially what I've established from this show. I don't know if if we did date is, you know, would I find that endearing or would I find that annoying? It'd be one of the quotes where you'd have to turn away and sort of squirm a little bit before returning. Yeah, you have to be like, it's, it's okay, you can get through this. 
<laughs> you, you can... It's worth it, okay? It's, it's worth it. So they jump out of the hot air balloon in a field and go for a picnic in what I've put looks like a communal area, a small festival. <laughs> it does, where's, the, uh, where's the butternut squash curry? Like, where is it? <laughs> They're getting along pretty well, I think, uh, Matt and Kim, but the date is a hundred and million percent less steamy than the one with Rose. Yep. The sexual tension is, is well, there's, there's none, really, is there? Yeah, I think it's just because it's a different vibe. Like, I think Kim has to be won over, whereas uh, Rose and Megan are just like, yeah, all right, then. So, uh... <laughs> they went very beefy both in there with the voice. Oh, jeez, Ian. Then we get some more uh, deception, courtesy of uh, Ryan Seacrest Productions. They get fake papped. Very fake papped. I mean, some weird things happen in British woods, but this has got to be on a different level. <laughs> Ian Botham gets his knob out. <laughs> oh my god! Can we stop talking about Beefy's knob? <laughs> I can't stop. I just remembered how funny it is. Okay, so sorry, moving away from Beefy's <laughs> Beefy's knob. I'm sorry. The Beefy's balloons could be a condom production. Is all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> so a fake photographer shows up, um, and then he's taken away by the fake security. Uh, presumably I've put to be fake killed. There's lots of layers of fake going on here. And then we we get a bizarre editorial choice. <laughs> what, yes, we do. The, the, <laughs> the photos uh, of uh, that the fake paparazzi have taken get turned into uh, a fake magazine, which rival, I would say, my word art opuses from about year five. <laughs> there is definitely some Getty images going on in the other headlines on that. Oh yeah, they've definitely bought out the Getty Images archive for some of those some of those headlines. I was I thought they could do something really funny, like you know maybe have a picture of Seacrest, have like a story about him oh. going on. But no, they they wasted the gag. They wasted the fake magazine gag. So Kim comes back and tells the others about the pap, and this is starting to win people over at this point. We remember that Carly exists <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I've got here that she has a very classy line where she says, "The fact that I'm intelligent sets me apart." It sets you apart because nobody gives a shit about you in this, in this show. <laughs> you weren't in the last episode at all. I wonder why you could suddenly be being brought back. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if you're going to become important. Who's going to go? Oh, I don't know. And then we get another date. It's a rowing date. Uh, and Matt takes along Jacqueline, Maggie and Kelly. Kelly says it's just like the notebook, hopefully uh, without the death at the end. Once again, another film I haven't seen. <laughs> Uh, Matt uh, openly admits he's shit at rowing. He keeps crashing the boat. Um, have you ever been rowing or done any sort of water-based I, I have done, um, I guess, kayaking, canoeing. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a going to bring up my travels again. Um, that was... Oh, uh, Nathan yeah. went to Australia. We get it. Fine. <laughs> I did two lots of kayaking and canoeing there. Both of them were fucking exhausting. <laughs> One of them was one of the most tired I've ever felt ever. That was like going out in like at Byron Bay to see loads of dolphins and stuff. But we saw so many dolphins and whales that they the people running it kept pushing us further away from the beach. Oh. So it was like a film where you see a landmark and you're like, oh, we're not that far off. And it's still in the same spot 20 minutes later. Um <laughs> And then the other one was quite nice. It was just quite long, but yeah, oh. it was uh, it was still water, 
website wasn't as crazy. <laughs> I uh, went canoeing in Norwich once and I almost hit a swan. <laughs> was that on another one of your dates? That is a ballsy first date if you're taking someone canoeing. Especially if you're going to hit a swan. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to impress her. Just watch this. <laughs> they disembark for our second picnic of the episode. A lot of these dates are very weather dependent, I've put. Yeah, uh, this must have been filmed... I don't know what the filming dates are, but it's got to be spring-summer oh, yeah. to have any chance of pulling this off. <laughs> yeah, if they turned up in November, absolutely no chance. <laughs> oh, Marriage of the Isle of Wight in November. Oh, God. Matt's erection would be even smaller than it already was. <laughs> Do you want to take us through this next bit? Because this is this is a really weird moment where there's, like, drama, but it's really not drama. It's built up throughout the entire episode as being this big deal... Do you want to talk about Kelly and Matt and what they get up to on the boat? This could be the moment where Kelly suffers an injury that causes her changing character for the rest of the <laughs> I never series. Thought of it like that. She, um, she's try- She is already obsessed with Matt Hicks or slash mm. Harry. She's obsessed and with Harry. She's obsessed with the idea that he's. I think she's Harry. obsessed with existence a little bit as well. Like she's really <laughs> into existing, and we find out why later on. And that's you know that's a nicer part of the story. But she decides that to impress Matt, she's going to do a backflip out of the boat. Hmm. And uh, if you think about this in terms of physics, and now I'm no scientist, um, <laughs> if you're going to push off from a boat, you know you're going to push off, and the boat is still going to be kind of where it was previously so she flips and absolutely thwacks her head on this boat back flipping into the water um please don't I'm put yourself on any of these Ready? are you sure i'm really don't feel safe about this i got it are you okay clipped your head I'm good. Are you okay? Yep. They build this up through all the coming up and all the sort of previews that this is going to be this big moment. And then she hits her head on the boat, they cut to commercial, they come back, and she's completely fine. She's just a bit shaken up. She's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. (laughs) Is that you, Mama? Oh, God, Alabama. So after Kelly's near-death experience, we are back to the estate, and Kingsley announces that we shall have a pool party. A pool party. (laughs) There's so much sexualisation going on at this pool party, because the women turn up in their sort of very skimpy bikinis. I've put that Matt must have just had a constant boner during this section. (laughs) God. Unless it was November. (laughs) It's not the Isle of Wight, Nathan, come on. Maggie goes straight to the bar, because of course she does. Uh, (laughs) uh, Remember what Kelly said, it's fan. (laughs) It's fan. It's fan. They uh, have a limbo contest. It's more of a tit limbo contest, isn't it? Let's be honest, rather than a... A head limo limbo contest. There are so many references throughout this series to Megan and her quote-unquote giant boobs. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, I noticed that during the entire time this is happening, whilst everyone's in their bikinis and their shorts and everything, Kingsley is there in a full suit and a bowler hat. Just sweating like a cricket player in <laughs> July. In heat. And as they go under the um under the bar, he's just there applauding the women. It's phenomenal. 
He's so good. That's got to be ad libbed. Like he has to either him or the production team have to have come up with like what he could do on the spot. It's so good. I honestly, th- I think it's him. I think you know. If, obviously, I'm not an actor, but I think if you work as an extra for most of your career, you have to pick up on these little background traits yeah. that you do because you have to sort of always be acting, but never in a in an overblown kind of way. So it mm-hmm. takes some real skill, I think, to to be an extra. Yeah. Matt announces that it's. Hot tub time in the least <laughs> the least suave way possible. Hot tub time. The best time. So he decides to go into the hot tub with Megan, uh, a vision of things to come for the real life Harry. They are incredibly flirty with one another, and it's the second smooch of the series. Tick. This is where we find out something about Carly. Who? Who's that? Like, can't remember. She used to be a DJ. So she uh, gets behind the decks. Everyone starts dancing, even Kingsley. Chelsea starts twerking, uh, which (laughs) sets off the rest of them. And this is where we get the line of the series from Kingsley. Twerking, jolly good. Shouldn't be legal. That is an extraordinary line. (laughs) Um, He he gets this role. Paul Leonard, he just like... (laughs) Paul Leonard! That is professional as hell, isn't it? When you were asked to do this ridiculous reality format and you give it 100%. Honestly, I, I tip my cap, my, my bowler cap to thee. He uh, he certainly grabbed the brass ring after um, <laughs> only being labelled as citizen in Les Mis. you got to maximise your minutes, folks. Matt then goes off to the hot tub with Karina and we find out she used to date a footballer. Yeah, never never a good, good idea. <laughs> I spent so long trying to figure out who the mystery footballer was because right. she said she said he was European. She said he played football in Europe. And we, we see little snippets of him a bit later on and it looks like he's in a Spanish football club kit. So I tried to do my research, but unfortunately I couldn't find who it was. Uh, so if anyone out there knows, I would really like to know because this drove me crazy. Let's pretend it's Carlos Puyol. <laughs> Oh, that hair. Yeah. Oh, Fernando Hierro. Um, oh. I'm just bringing up random old Spanish footballers. Karina comes across very well here. She seems like a really nice person. Once again, the perfect mix of sort of sassy, sensual, but at the same time, really wholesome, quite mm. reserved, uh, authentic. She, from the beginning, it's like you're obviously going to be here for quite a long time. This is my uh, my favourite speculatory bit of the series. Did you pick up on who they thought Matt might have been? I don't think I've got that in my notes. <laughs> they think he could be Camilla's kid. <laughs> wait, wait. Prince Charles remarried after yes. Princess Diana died? I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he said, oh, my brother recently settled down, he could have meant... His stepbrother. And since we are just Americans, we might not know all the intricacies of the royal family. Makes you wonder. I don't know what children Camilla has. I, yeah. Does she have children? Because, really like, Prince, Princess Eugenie, that's like uh, Fergie, right? Is uh, that Fergie? Yeah, I think that's... And um, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. Yeah, oh, first oh no. <laughs> oh, dear. That's the second questionable individual we've mentioned in this podcast. The pool party comes to a close and we go to the elimination. It's between Karina and Carly, blah, blah, blah. Carly goes, obviously it's Carly. Obviously. It's, she's really boring and they spend time highlighting how boring she is. 
like she obviously had to take time out to do her molecular biology work, <laughs> uh, which is only referenced once. <laughs> yeah, which is about, you know, a third of the time she appears on screen in the entire series. <laughs> See you later, Carly. Bye, Carly. Uh, uh, Karina deserved this, I think. I mean, as much as you can deserve this horribly misogynistic premise. The poison chalice. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think Karina Karina's star shone very brightly in this episode, uh, and I'm very happy for her to get the crown suite. She goes into the crown suite, and uh, Carly leaves and says, I'm not materialistic, so stuff like this doesn't really impress me. Well, GTFO then, goodbye. <laughs> I'm really sad to be leaving, but I'm not really sure what exactly he was looking for. I'm not materialistic, so stuff like this doesn't really impress me. I'll be picking back up and then getting back into school and furthering my education. It's episode four, and my first note is, I think I finally know who everyone is now. They'd got rid of the uh, the fillers. <laughs> That's so harsh. <laughs> the wheat they, from the chaff. They'd, they'd got rid of the ones that Matt was never going to choose in the first yeah. place, and now you were kind of settling into the personalities of everyone. Um, and uh, w- straight away we get like a big old twist uh, thrown in because we've got a really badly photoshopped image thrown into the mix. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially a catfish, but in real life because Karina and Matt are having breakfast in the Crown Suite and then she stumbles across this very obviously planted photo of Matt, quote unquote, and Prince William playing polo together. <laughs> I've never played polo, so let's not talk about polo. <laughs> what was the production meeting on this day? Like, wh- when was it finally decided to just... The last morsel of moral <laughs> obligation they had, just throw it out the window. Let's just do it. It's not as bad as what happens in the next episode, but yeah, this is... Um, like, we're all in now. There's no going back for Matt here. Uh, and this is, I think, where we also start to get Matt starting to feel a bit guilty about lying to the girls because but he, is he actually like well I, I think that's probably better discussed at another time but yeah the, the seeds are being sown for Matt starting to be concerned about these these uh, lies that he's telling so Karina feeds this information back to the other girls um this was they sort of mess with the format here because um we've not had Karina's date yet and that actually happens after what we get here because it's time to go horse riding uh, because Harry is posh. Matt chooses Chelsea and Maggie to go riding with him whilst the others will be mucking out the stables. Uh, and I don't know who it was who said it, uh, but they were like mucking whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> it, that is the second best quote other than this one. I don't know who says it, but um, somebody says we don't get to ride the horse. We don't even get to ride anything. <laughs> Matt's dong <laughs> Matt dicks <laughs> So they go horse riding uh, A lot of the conversation is about dating And their dating history I find this quite boring to be honest This is what most what he's talked about With most of the girls at this point Just like oh what's your dating history like Oh you know you ever been with a ginger It's just like I could do without it to be honest I don't know what you thought 
and uh, well, Chelsea has completely given up on this by this point. So she's just like, no, I'm just going to ask you, have you ever dated a black girl? <laughs> he then replies to that, uh, colour doesn't come into it at all. Uh, and I've just put this a shame that some areas of the British press don't see it the same way. <laughs> but also denying years of uh, delineation and oppression via colour is probably one of the most racist things you could say. Um, so... <laughs> They uh, sit down to eat, uh, Matt, Chelsea and Maggie. Uh, Chelsea makes some snide comments about Maggie's drinking and they start getting into an argument in front of Matt. It's horrid. Yes, Chelsea, once again, not giving a shit, just says, if you were so embarrassed, you wouldn't get piss-ass drunk every night. (laughs) Look, how old is Chelsea in this? I think she's the youngest. She's like 21, isn't she? Uh, Yeah, I think she's 21. Yeah, Yeah. so she, she doesn't need this. Yeah, I mean, like, and I really appreciate that, like, she re- retains her, like, dignity and individuality throughout <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, she's another one who, like, hasn't given him that much screen time, but this is very much her episode. Uh, we'll find out why uh, later on. Then we get Karina's date, and they're off to London. They're off on that one-hour, 20-minute car drive uh, for a private boat tour down the River Thames. Very nice. Ooh. Very nice indeed. They've still got some budget left. We get some fake fans on the Tower Bridge. They're freaking out as he goes underneath. Again, adding to the ruse. This doesn't seem to bother Matt and Karina because they start smooching as well. (laughs) Tick! (laughs) Uh, I thought they had some good chemistry on the date. They seem to really enjoy each other's company. Oh, this is like one of the most authentic, uh, you know, relationships on this show, which isn't saying a lot, but like, she's just a really nice person and like, he's an okay guy. I mean, he's way too involved in the process, but he's a nice guy. Yeah. No, this is, this is probably the nicest date so far, I would say, in terms of sort of balancing sweet and sexy and and like, it, it. you know, not bad for a first interaction between these two. Did you note down what how Matt described their kiss? No. <laughs> well, it's more about their attraction, I guess. It's a fiery bang-bang oh. in your face, I'm attracted to you feeling. Oh, God. He's such a dweeb. And he speaks in Spanish because he's Antonio Banderas. Oh, of course he does, yeah. Well, she is half Mexican, so... He also, you know, busts out the pan pipes and starts doing river dance to just try oh, really... <laughs> cultural cliches. <laughs> Back at the house, Annalisa and Chelsea have a massive fight, so much so that Chelsea skips dinner. While this is going on, Karina is upstairs with Matt. They are on the bed and they kiss a lot. Yep. And uh, that's interspersed with Matt saying, lying to someone you don't know is okay. (laughs) Lying to someone you don't know is okay. You can put up with it. Remember that, folks. It's okay to drink and it's okay to lie to people you don't know. I picked up on this conversation while Karina was upstairs with Matt. The other girls are chatting. They just start start talking about how big his knob is. They do get intimate tonight. Good for them. Just tell us how big it is. That's all we want to know. Six feet, six figures, six... Yeah, because if it's little, I'm out. (laughs) And she's just like, I just want to know how big it is. Because if it's small, I can't be bothered. (laughs) That is a woman who knows what she wants. And I can Uh... applaud that. After the kissing, Matt is called aside by Chelsea... 
and uh, this is this is some real. When you say uh, pulled aside, he had to leave. <laughs> he had to leave, uh, quote unquote, Deerfield Manor and walk the length of the garden oh, to yeah. have a chat. Right to the back of the garden. Oh, you're right. Well, you know, she was about to drop some bombs because uh, yeah, she uh, she tells him about you know all the cattiness and everything that's been going on in the house while his back has been turned, and then in the absolute classic reality TV moment, she eliminates herself. From the process. <laughs> she did the Katie Hopkins. Oh, she did, yeah. Uh, please don't compare Chelsea to Katie Hopkins. <laughs> don't compare well, they're anyone. Bo- they're, they're both quite strong characters. I mean, obviously one of them is better than the other. But, you know. He's a great guy, and I feel so bad that I'm walking out and leaving without him even getting to know me and me getting to know him. So we've lost Chelsea. That's a shame because I think Matt was like quite interested in her. He didn't really give her much time, does he? I, I think I don't think he was going to eliminate her straight yeah. away. But she was an episode six kind of girl. <laughs> Were you sad to see Chelsea go? I was because she's very much an individual, and she also didn't give two fucks about <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> which is like considering the seriousness of some of the other girls, it was really refreshing. Mm. Um, and I thought quite mature for her twenty-one years as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, she did a uh, you know, and and from a completely objective standpoint, she made the show a lot more interesting by eliminating herself. Uh, just the question: Have you ever dated a black girl? Was interesting <laughs> enough. <laughs> So Chelsea's gone. Uh, the girls play badminton uh, in yet another Centre Parks moment. Kelly is taking it super seriously. Uh, meanwhile, Matt gets chatting to Annalisa, who's sort of been played up as this sceptic uh, of his identity. She really goes in hard on the questions, and you think he's going to crack, but he he survives. He claws his way out of the questioning, and his identity is saved. I didn't pick Annalisa out as a cynic, but apparently she is. <laughs> well, they needed something for her to do. They all get in the hot tub and they play, <laughs> they play truth or dare. Rose is dared to do the chicken dance in front of Matt's security. <laughs> just wiggles her tits in his face. <laughs> that guy can't keep character as well. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I don't think I could. I don't think with the best will in the world, you know, the greatest actor of all time would struggle because that bikini is not leaving much to the imagination. Even a beef eater would struggle <laughs> with. Oh, don't say beef. You've got me thinking about eating both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So we get to the elimination and the girls think they're all safe because Chelsea left. But bam, Kingsley comes in. And he's about to stir some shit up. Annalisa gets called through and everyone's just like, oh, she must be the one staying in the crown suite. And then he comes back through and asks to see Kelly. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God, mama. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kelly is begging Matt not to eliminate her. Well, she's had her brain trauma by this point, <laughs> so her personality has changed. But in a real swerve moment here, Kelly is not sent home. She's elevated to the crown suite and she makes a hilarious noise. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't call it the chair. So that means Annalisa is sent home. Do you reckon she was just sent home because she knew too much? Yeah. Um, and her exit interview, she's quite lighthearted about her, the whole thing and retains her cynicism. Mm. And probably as soon as she got her phone, she was like, oh, I was right. All right, let's go home. <laughs> I'm a beauty queen. I really don't need this bollocks. 
I'm off, quite frankly. Or his bollocks. <laughs> I still doubt that he is Prince Harry, but who knows? Maybe it is. At least I can say that I partied and hung out with Prince Harry and I hope to see him in Vegas soon. I just have to look for another Prince Charming, I guess. Kelly is in the Crown Suite and she is completely head over heels and I feel really sorry for her at this point because it's just not going to end well because he's not Prince Harry. Because he's Matt Hicks. (laughs) (laughs) And she is like, you know, she gives it all the... Oh, I don't care who you are. I like you for you. But she, she doesn't. She is so enamoured with the fact that he is, quote unquote, a prince. And she's just going to get heartbroken. It's horrid. It's utterly, utterly horrid. Yeah, she retains the colonial frontiersman attitude of her, uh, <laughs> of her home state. So that draws this part of the review to a close. Nathan, have you got any closing remarks for part one? Or as I like to call it, the TV years of... I want to marry Harry. So much better than I thought it was going to be. Like I mm. just like it's like Greece too. I was just having a great time watching mm. this. Um, you know, if if I look at it intellectually, it's terrible. But I'm just not going to because I was having fun. Yeah. Um, and they've they've got rid of all the guff now, and it's just like girls who are actually interested in him and the process going forward. So, like, they set it up quite well. But, obviously, if they weren't getting the ratings, then it was never going to last in the first place. absolutely. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this as much as uh, Nathan has. Uh, Do stick around and do check out our account in two weeks' time when we'll be dropping part two of this. We'll find out how Kelly gets on in the crown suite. We'll find out who Matt picks to be his blushing bride. They don't actually get married, but despite the name of the show and we'll find out what happens when he tells that lady he's not the real prince harry but for now if you want to head over to our social media platforms you can find us on facebook just search for the bad things podcast you can find us on twitter at bad things pod and you can find us on instagram also at bad things pod if you want to send us an email we are bad things pod at gmail.com let us know your thoughts on the show and let us know if there's anything you want us to review we do have the results of our poll which we put out last time we came to you for our episode five review we'll reveal that at the end of the next episode but nathan it's going to be a good one but for now we'll leave you in tenterhooks to see what's going to happen on i want to marry harry part two so for now it's goodbye from nathan packer Farewell. And it's goodbye from me, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Bye bye.